Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Waffle Press Retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me, as always, is Matt Garingo. Matt Garingo. Oh, uh... Oh. Yeah, a bit awkward, this. How did you get out there? Fire escape. It's 20 stories. Your doorman's intimidating. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Parker. Not much to tell, really. Peter lives with his aunt and uncle. Did you catch that spider guy yet? No, but we will. This guy wears a mask like an outlaw. I think he's trying to do something maybe the police can't. Can't? (laughs) <laughs> this is where, where is matt do you do you know i don't know uh i'm not sure but i kind of look a little bit like him uh just don't think too much about the british accent and um it will go well oh, oh okay you know what I, I feel like there's potential here uh I, this, this is this is different but i feel like we can get something out of this together uh who who, who are you what is, what is your name well my name is is jack uh but i mean it's one syllable it's a one syllable name so we can still go with it still but anyone who's a big fan of matt might be a little bit disappointed but you stuck with me for this episode at least i'd like to welcome jack godwin to the show it, it's uh it's a pleasure to have you on oh many years ago we discussed guardians of the galaxy on the waffle press we are still going to talk about the amazing spider-man a film uh, that is a little divisive, Jack. Really quick, uh, what, what what would people know you from online? What are you doing? Uh, well, um, I've just started up a new uh, Spider-Man podcast on Spider-Man the animated series. It's called uh, That Nineties Spider-Man Show. Um, and yeah, we'll link to all that and everything. But yeah, we're going through that show, so I'm uh, I'm deep into the the Spider-Man media the comics the movies the everything <laughs> okay good good yeah uh, i'll put links down of course below and uh now we can jump right into the movie because you and i are both big spider-man fans obviously uh-huh. um, maybe not so much about of uh all the movies in fact we might talk about one of them right now mm-hmm. uh 2012's the amazing spider-man directed by mark webb uh written by who wrote this James Vanderbilt, Alvin Sargent did a draft, but I think that was mostly just rewritten by James Vanderbilt and right. Steve Cloves. Um, this is the reboot that was in production side by side with Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4. Wow. The development of Spider-Man 4 started almost immediately after the divisive, I guess we'll say, Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Um, did not really leave a good taste in everyone's mouth. I, I actually don't know. Are you a fan of Spider-Man 3? I've, I've, um, I'm one of those people who's kind of uh, come around to it uh, as time's gone. I definitely hated it when it came out. But I think over time, I've started to see a few good qualities in that, alongside the clear flaws. Yeah, I, I, that's where I am too. Like I, I actually would go as far to say I even love it. Uh, but yeah. there are huge, huge issues with that film, and I get people not being crazy about it. Uh, I don't get some other reactions to some of the other movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Well, I'll say up front, I'm a huge uh, fan of the Raimi movies in general. Uh, I, I rewatched the, the first one a few weeks back, and um, I'm pretty sure it's my favorite one. <sighs> That's... It's not a 
it's not like a, a take that I'll be like, I'll fight you over. It's mm. just that Spider-Man two is so good. Yeah. For me, you know, but the first Spider-Man is, is also kind of like the perfect launch pad for yeah. the Spider-Man character on film. Like what do you even do after that? Yeah. I think, well, the thing is I, I've rewatched Spider-Man, the first one uh, more recently than Spider-Man two. So again, I feel like, I need to go through all these movies again, as you guys are, because I feel like each time I rewatch them, I'm changing my opinion just a little bit. Yeah, it's it really it, it's a mileage may vary kind of a trilogy, I think. Because I've even heard some takes. I didn't really talk about this in the Spider-Man three episode. I've heard some people say that you know the first two might not be their cup of tea, but that three is actually their sweet spot. And Really? Yeah, that that one fascinates me. I, I, I find that really interesting, what people are drawn to with the Spider-Man character. And what I think they're drawn to the most is the likability of the characters and the wackiness of like the, right. the Sam Raimi tone uh, that's kind of inherent to the Spider-Man character. There's a lot of horror elements with his villains, uh, a lot of body horror, I find uh, mm. really interesting. Maybe, maybe something about that. I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I find it really, really fascinating. Um, what I don't find fascinating is the production history of The Amazing Spider-Man. So uh, <laughs> after Sam Raimi couldn't get Spider-Man 4 off the ground, he, uh, he tasked many screenwriters and many scripts uh, to, to get a story working that involved John Malkovich as the Vulture, potentially, um, Anne Hathaway as a character named the Voltress, who would have been Felicia Hardy, but then I guess that was debunked recently for the first time that that's... she would have, in fact, played Black Cat. I, I'm very confused about that. Yeah, that's really strange because you you bring in Anne Hathaway before you say anything else. My first thought is Black Cat, and uh, <laughs> and then to make her Felicia Hardy, Hardy, and then not make her <laughs> Black Cat. That's a really bizarre choice, if ever was one. Yeah, I, I I trust in Raimi more though more than anything, but I think just the the the, the production toils of Spider Man three kind of had taken their toll, and everyone was like, we can't get this work. And then Raimi described it as like an amicable breakup, where if right. they couldn't do right by Spider Man, he would rather not make the film. And I have to commend him for that. And I I really wish that more people would say nice things about Spider Man three to him because. I think he kind of let it get to him and he kind of poo-poos his work yeah. on there too, which is unfortunate because I think he does some great stuff in it. Um, it definitely doesn't deserve its place as a lot of people put it as one of the worst comic book movies, which is just crazy to me. Yeah, like the last five years alone have stuff that is just like, yeah. brutal last, to sit through. The last two years alone. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> After January 11, 2010, when the film was officially canceled by Columbia Pictures and Marvel Studios, they uh, announced that they're rebooting Avi Arad, Matt Tolmach, and um, uh, who, who else is that? Ziskin, someone Ziskin. The producers in the original trilogy would return, uh, which is often a bad sign for a reboot. If you have the same producers who just mm. remake everything again, the X-Men series kind of saw these pitfalls. Yeah. Uh, and... They they decided to to start over a new story with with uh, new iterations of the characters, and that uh, they felt that the primary the core story of Spider Man was that he was about a, a a boy becoming a man a coming of age story, which is quite literal in the first film. 
and a bunch of other screenwriters came in and polished up previous iterations of this reboot draft. Director Mark Webb would have won out the the director job. The odd choice, I guess. Uh, this is kind of the beginning of this Hollywood thing where Hollywood will pluck out like aspiring indie filmmakers and give them like big budgets. Uh, and I think that's kind of because they're easier to push around. <laughs> yeah, it's also a marketable thing in a way because uh, didn't Mark Webb do 500 Days of Summer? Yep. <laughs> so I think when they can kind of uh, uh, point to the romance angle um, and the comedy angle uh, in the same way that they can point to, it's a lot different with Joss Whedon, but they can say, oh, Joss Whedon did, is really good with ensembles. So he's we're bringing him into Avengers and the MCU have done that quite a lot with uh, marketing their direct cho- uh, their director choices. Yeah, very. Uh, I-, I don't know if it always works out, and I, I think this is an instance no. of it not working out so much. And I think it's because, without getting directly into the movie, because there's just a couple more things I want to touch on really quick. Um, Mark Webb's Five Hundred Days of Summer is filled with cast members that have incredible chemistry. In ways that maybe the story shouldn't allow and i don't think he realizes what he's putting on screen it's a problem i find with colin trevorrow as well or trevorrow right. i'm not sure how to say it um yeah and it, it, it's it leaves a bad taste in my mouth more so than anything uh from the previous iterations but uh andrew garfield eventually won out the role of spider-man uh other cast member or other actors who were considered for the role were uh, Jamie Bell, Alden Ehrenreich. This is before he blew up recently. Uh, mm, Frank Delane. Interesting. Someone named Oyce Habel, I'm not familiar with. Andrew Garfield and Josh Hutcherson. Uh, oh, Aaron, right. Yeah, eventually Aaron Taylor Johnson, who was just Aaron Johnson at the time, would have been considered for the role. And the late, great Anton Yeltsin. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would have been something. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, there are bigger problems than the actors in these movies. That, that's what I'll say about this, because I'm, I'm going to be a little more negative than I usually am on these next two episodes. Um, <laughs> and Webb stated that he knew Andrew Garfield was the right guy for filming, because when they were filming a, a scene between him and Gwen Stacy, a scene that's not in the film, um, they, they were supposed to be in a diner eating a cheeseburger, and apparently like his mannerisms while he was in this fake diner and eating while like consoling Gwen was supposed to be like something just like old Hollywood style magical. Right. Yeah. And I, I just, I think that's interesting. I don't, I don't get, (laughs) I don't get why that would have like won him over. Like, that's it. That's the guy. That's Spider-Man. But um, what's your, what's your general take on Andrew Garfield? Andrew Garfield is a fantastic actor who is totally misused in these movies and often very bad in them. And it's totally not his fault. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's, it completely comes down to the writing and the direction. Uh, Andrew Garfield is a huge Spider-Man fan. Yeah. Uh, I am. I, I think he got done so dirty by these movies and he <laughs> has even gone on record as saying like as recently when he was promoting, under the Silver Lake for A24, he was saying, like, it's it's still a little bit of a sore subject for him, and he's coming to terms with it. And that, that's really too bad. Yeah. I, is he, um, did you remember the Comic-Con appearance he did? In Hall H, as Spider-Man, 
with all of you guys has always been a dream of mine. All right. So thanks for having me. <laughs> You have no idea. You have no idea how much this means to me. I remember that really winning me over early on. I was very like, I don't know if I need another Spider-Man after Spider-Man 3, or at least with someone else, you know? And, uh, and a lot of my buddies showed me that, and I was like, you know what? Okay, that looks kind of neat. And then s saw the movie. <laughs> yeah. There's a bunch <laughs> of other production stuff we can get into. Like, uh, they, they felt the responsibility to reinvent Spider-Man. So they wanted like web shooters again. Uh, that's probably the most interesting thing you'll get out of this. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's interesting that Avi Arad follows the Spider-Man villain trajectory in that he's kind of a mentor to Spider-Man, the Spider-Man <laughs> character, and then ultimately becomes his greatest arch nemesis. <laughs> you know, if you're going to steal cars, don't dress like a car thief. You a cop? You seriously think I'm a cop in a skin tie, red and blue suit? Who are you? For the movie, The Amazing Spider-Man, the untold story, which no one is quite sure what was untold about it because structurally this is basically the same movie as the 2002 Sam Raimi version. Yeah, I the, the strangest thing about this movie to me is that they don't change a huge amount, but all the things they change seem to, for the most part, uh, be wrong-headed, and all the things that they replicate seem to be lesser versions of the Raimi uh, Spider-Man movies. It's really bizarre. <laughs> it's, yeah, I can't comprehend the decisions that were made to get us here. But compared to the sequel, this is like a solid ground, at least. Uh, when, you, when you have a film that knocks it out of the park, like the first Spider-Man did in 2002, you have the very tragic circumstance of being like, okay, Hollywood's going to have to follow this up at some point. Tobey Maguire's not going to be Spider-Man forever. You, you can't do this same movie again or you'll fail. But you can't like just change things to be different or you'll fail. And this film does both of those. <laughs> yeah, I, the thing is, there were so many options they could have taken. For instance, if they'd followed closer to the ultimate Spider-Man comic where... Um, a lot of the origins played out slightly differently and they had Uncle Ben around for several issues um, to sort of build up his character and then, you know, see him go in a similar way again. There was a lot of different routes they could have taken, yet, again, like you said, the structure is incredibly similar. I think the one big plot thread is that there's a mystery with Peter Parker's parents. Uh, the guy that kills Uncle Ben gets away and nothing really ends up coming of those. Like, even, even in the standalone movie, there has to be some thematic or, like, narrative purpose for those things to have play out the way they do. Otherwise, why put them in your movie? And we're seeing a lot of that in the blockbusters nowadays, but it's really prevalent in this one. Yeah, I think the, the weird... Uh, the one thing about this movie that I think it kind of introduces that the Raimi movies didn't have, and it didn't mean to introduce this is a really, really messed up sense of morality. <laughs> because the way that the small changes they make end up, when you really think about them, make you start questioning whether the characters you're following should be inspirational or heroes at all. Oh, it's it's so bad. It's, it's, it's just, I, I guess the, that's really the breaking point of this movie. Otherwise, it's just kind of like generic trash, whatever, you know, like it's, 
I think it's a very pretty looking film. Uh, the special effects, I'll even say, like are really good in this. Yes, one. there's a really some good of the action mix. is good. Yeah, there's a really good mix of like practical and and uh, VFX stuff. Blockbusters don't look like this still nowadays. Like, because there's so many big ones, they kind of have to like skimp on stuff once in a while. Those the poor people in the VFX industry are just so incredibly overworked for so little pay, and it just uh, this one looks really good. Uh, I think of a lot of the stuff in the finale on on the Oscorp Tower. Um, mm. The action's kind of fun. He look he moves more like a spider, but it's like it doesn't make sense because he's been Spider Man for such little time. Like, yeah, I don't understand why they chose that, and he doesn't move like that in the sequel. So like, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's weird. But you're right. The the point about the morality, uh, Peter Parker being like kind of a, a scumbag. You know, like in the in the Raimi ones, he's he's just like socially awkward, which is fine. It comes yeah. off a little creepy at times, but he's like, he he doesn't know how to talk to people at the beginning of those films. You know, like that's that's it, the point of that. Here, he's just like, it changes from scene to scene. Some scenes he's like, cool, Coldplay listening skater dude. <laughs> Other scenes he's like, young James Dean, uh, in Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, other scenes he's like social outcast and it's just which one which one is it <laughs> and poor andrew garfield has to like hop between each one of those trying to like create some connective tissue through his performance and it's just crazy i think the scene where it completely lost me was when uh, they were like these boys were, were picking on that one kid right and then peter parker tries to like fight back right and i was like what is nothing's going to come from this, right? And then I was absolutely correct. Nothing nothing came from that. They just want to make you see that, oh, there's Peter Parker's tougher. There's Peter Parker's cooler than Tobey Maguire. Yeah. It's, it's just bizarre. Like, nothing leads into anything in this yeah. film. Yeah, it's kind of unclear what they're... What they're, tr- they're, they're trying to change small aspects of his character, but not following through on any of those changes, which... Makes it kind of confusing as to what kind of person he is, other than just a uh, someone who only thinks of himself, really. Which uh, again, like the the small things, like the uh, that have larger effects, like the fact that he doesn't that he finds out that Uncle Ben's killer is the same man he let go. He finds out immediately, and then proceeds to spend a decent amount of the movie finding people who look like him and beating them up violently uh, and then never finding him. I don't understand what the purpose of that other than to show that when he's having an argument with Captain Stacy about whether Spider-Man is vigilante, it makes him look stupid because, well, yeah, he's just attacking people. <laughs> he's just attacking people who all look the same. And then he's trying to claim that that's he's a hero and he's trying to do the right thing. And as an audience, you're like, well, no, I mean, in this situation, like, the cop is right. You're actually just beating up people. Yeah, and it, <laughs> that's, that's fucking hilarious. Like, I, I, I can't understand why that's the route. They, like, they could have done anything after Spider-Man 3. They could have done anything to restart this universe. And they're just like, oh, the same thing, but make them angrier. And, like, you know what? I'm not even opposed to Peter Parker being, like, almost uh, an anti-hero at first and realizing, like, oh, with the great power comes great responsibility thing, you know? Like, maybe have that backfire and have 
Uncle Ben's killer be a supervillain? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe that's, that's too far. I don't know. Uh, although I well, guess the, I guess they did that in Spider Man three and Spectacular Spider Man also. So I, I this is why when I came into this the second time I did did honestly try and come in like be a little bit more positive and it didn't work. But um, I did I've been reading a lot of these uh, s- since I've last seen this movie. I've been reading a lot of the classic Stanley, Steve Dicto, uh, and various other Spider Man comics and. There's usually uh, a lot of these stories start with Peter Parker being kind of horrible, being very selfish, but it's the beginning of an arc. You know, there's he he will act that way and he will bad things will happen to him and he will only focus on how it's affecting him and he'll be very self pitying and he'll take out on others. And then by the end of that journey, he realizes that it's not all about him and that he's that he should pay more attention to his friends or his classmates or Aunt May. Whereas in this movie, whenever any any tragedy befalls him, it's only about him. He just mopes. He completely ignores Aunt May for the entire movie. Um, but I guess he got her some eggs at the end, so it's all fine. It's it's honestly unbelievable. Like I kind of want to pull these writers, like the creative team aside and be like, do you know what you've done? <laughs> uh, like, I mean, I'm sure they're fine people, but just like the story that they came up with is so like corrupt. Uh, I've said it for a couple of years now and I'll say it again. I think, I think they accidentally wrote Eddie Brock. And yes, Peter Parker. That's what this really feels like. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost a Eddie Brock or it's, um, <laughs> or it's Dr. Octopus really. Cause it's these, <laughs> these dark mirrors who have, had similar lives to Peter in some respects, had bad things happen to them, but chose to respond to them in selfish ways. Those characters exist to contrast with Peter Parker, who has taken a good route. Uh, we're not meant to focus on a Peter Parker who's, again, being selfish. Yeah, I think another one of the breaking points of the film is that, like, like I said, I'm totally cool with them starting off this way. And like you said in the original comics, like that selfish Peter Parker. Um, but then the film doesn't address those moments in the second half. And I don't even mean like a literal, like, oh, have those characters come back and see how Peter Parker changed or he, he treats people differently, which he, he does, but there's no like middle point to that. It's like you went from point A to point Z and you're like, yeah. yep, that's an arc. And, and like you missed every other beat along the way. <laughs> like that's not, that's not writing That's bullet points. Yeah, exactly. And I, I ended up not minding some of those moments like when he eventually uh, meets with flash and flash is kind of sympathetic to him uh and they sort of become friends i think but i that kind of stuff worked for me but it was only because at that point i was so starved for any kind of character growth that i was just like oh thanks for this uh like m- morsel yeah you know what no that i think that's a good moment but then he's like never in the film again yeah so it's like again why did you even spend time with these people like i'm not a like i think the flash character and the raimi version is not like the peak of like um minor character storytelling or anything like that but you know there's a purpose to it and then when that arc ends it influences peter's journey for the the next like section of the film where he's like yeah i was justified in 
and beating up the bully. Like that was a good thing. And his uncle's like, yo, no, that's a bad <laughs> idea. Um, oh. And then the next arc of the film plays out like as an evolution of that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, one thing I, I, that I think is the saving grace of this movie in some ways is that a lot of individual moments work because of the strength of the actors and their chemistry together. So even when there's these huge failings, I can enjoy a couple of scenes for what they are on isolated from anything else. Oh yeah. You know what? Let's let's get into the cast then really quick. Uh, Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. I don't think I know what you think of him too much. I, I, you know, I was a, I was always a huge fan of Andrew Garfield uh, uh, for his early career. Um, I haven't seen too much of him lately. I haven't seen Under Silver Lake yet. Uh, but I always really liked him, and I thought he was an interesting choice uh, for Peter Parker. It's hard to separate him from the character he plays here in some ways, because I don't know, I don't want to blame him for for it, but he is playing a really unlikable version of the character. I think the writing, like you said, fails him, but it's... I don't know if he's putting in his best work either. Oh, okay. I, I Yeah, I, I would say definitely check out Under the Silver Lake, which I only do- saw just recently. Um, he he plays like a version of this character, and I think that was the writer-director having fun with his casting, honestly. Um, okay. Because we're not supposed to like him in that movie, and the yeah. film is aware of that. Uh, think- so that, that, that one's more fun i think if you're not a fan of these movies in particular yeah well that's the problem right with this movie is that it keeps insisting we we like him when he's not following that arc at all yeah it's it's a honestly it's it's a little the problem i have with some of the Zack snyder movies where they're telling us one thing but they're showing us another it's it's very bizarre um but the rest of the cast is just stacked with talent and it's it it really does remind me of like the X Men movies where it's like look at this this incredible list of of cast members and they gave them fuck all to do. Emma Stone is Gwen Stacy is charming and bubbly as ever. Emma Stone is just charming and bubbly and wonderful. Uh, how, how, Rice Ifans or Ristifans as Doctor Kurt Connors the Lizard. Um, yeah, he's like such a talented actor, and then he gets like the dumbest dialogue uh dennis leary is captain stacy I, I this is my favorite part of the movie actually i think yeah. dennis leary is like amazing in this and gets like a believable arc like a mm. perfectly divided three-part arc uh, i don't know about the spider-man i'm gonna hunt the spider-man i see the good spider-man does and i gotta help him out ah oh, death and he that lingers over spider-man as a character perfect simple clean all you need from that Campbell Scott as Richard Parker, which is like hilarious to me. Uh, Irfan Khan as Rajit Ratha. I, I I don't know this character, but uh, Irfan Khan is is an incredible actor, and he's given uh, also nothing in this, which is just bizarre to me. Because like he, why? he's one of he's one of the many characters who who shows up and then disappears, and you. F- assume we'll figure into the plot later and then he just doesn't <laughs> <laughs> there's um because the last time we see him in the official film it's in the car attack on the bridge right i think so fuck i just saw this movie again and i forgot um yeah 
but there's a deleted scene where I guess he survived that and he he goes to the lizard's underground lair where he also tranquilizes Peter or something like that and then he's then the lizard kills him in there instead after he tells Peter like like he doesn't know like the powers he's messing with or something like that it's very odd and it, it it's kind of a um like patient zero for the uh the incessant like building of nothing that this franchise had like it just yeah. constantly like oh we'll get to this later and it's like what's the point of it now oh trust us we'll get to it later and yeah like it you really... can't you, you never were able to bullshit me man i i read through this like day one <laughs> it really is a spider-man dawn of nothing to be honest yeah and that's that's too bad because then you have Martin Sheen as Ben Parker and Sally Field as May Parker. Yeah, what this is genius casting. I and think they uh, did nothing. I I do think Martin Sheen is my favorite part of this movie by a long shot. Uh, he he gets very little to do, but when he is there, I kind of almost wish that if they were gonna introduce a new Uncle Ben spend more of the time with Uncle Ben before obviously tragedy strikes. Because uh, he is really good in this. Uh, his scenes with Peter, the way he reacts when at one point Peter calls him a good father and his reaction. I don't know. There's so much about his performance that's really moving to me. But he's just not really given the time. And the same with Sally Field, really. He, who has even far less to do. Oh god, yeah. And then like when they do give her stuff in the next one, it's like, why did you do that? Uh-huh. I gotta save that. But um, Yeah. <laughs> um and he you know what I would have really liked? I don't know if it would have worked, but it would this would have been like different and I think could have been interesting to play out. He don't kill off Uncle Ben, at least in this first one. I like what like an alternate universe where Uncle Ben doesn't die at least off the bat like maybe at least hold off to like the very end you know peter has a spider-man adventure with everything whole in his life so to speak you know like i think this is one of those movies as well where they're following certain beats from the spider-man mythos without any narrative reason to in some respects like why why um focus so much on the disappearance and apparent death of his parents if you're then going to go kill off his father figure and focus on that, and then you're going to have the tragic death of Captain Stacy and have that potentially affect him as well. The, these all, all these things you could have just, they could have made it uh, focus more on his parents and how their disappearance from his life, how that affects him. Um, but they're just trying to do all these things at once. They're just, and it, obviously we won't go into it now, but, it goes off into uh, Gwen Stacy in the second one where it's just you're ticking a box because that's what happens to that character. Oh, God. It, it, it's really bad in these movies. Some other superhero movies and comic book movies do that. Like, well, it happened in the source material. And it's like, you know, I love the Harry Potter movies, but even the last Harry Potter movie does that. It's like, well, these characters died off screen in the book. And it's like, no, it's a movie. Yeah. Oh, fuck? <laughs> you know, they do the same thing. No. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 more heartbreaking and frustrating than like, you know, I mean it is a little maddening, but you know, it just 
we know the potential of these stories. And even the people who worked on these knew the potential of these stories because they were involved with the last three. <laughs> the yeah. really good ones. Um, I, I think one of the, the, the most unfortunate things too is that I think we've just made very good points about like, yeah, like keep the parents around and keep the parent arc. But then it's like, oh yeah, we just did that in the 2002 one also. Like I, had a, I have a father, his name was Ben Parker. It's like, well, even if we just did everything we just talked about, keep Uncle Ben around, uh, have it be about like the the lack of parents in his life for him to realize, like, I do have parents in my life. It's like, oh shoot, that's the same, that's still the same fucking arc. <laughs> so like, <laughs> so like they really were just like they screwed the pooch by having it be an origin story. I think that was the big misstep. Don't don't do the origin, you know? Like, I mean, not that Marvel is also a gold standard for storytelling. But, like, I think they were smart enough not to do that again because they were interested in a story that wasn't about Peter Parker, like, having to relive stuff we've already seen. And, and you yeah. know, I'm even going to go as far as saying that it's not even about what the audience needs. It's about what the, what the character needs for their iteration. Um, and apart from, like, like, issues people may or may not have with certain aspects of, of Homecoming, I think for that iteration of the character, that's a pretty good jumping off point. And here, I don't think this is, this ever feels like, all right, let's go on the next adventure with Spider-Man or even on its own terms. Like this is what this whole story was about. Cause at the end of the film, I don't know what the amazing Spider-Man is actually about. I don't know what the untold story is. I don't know what thematically we're following through. I don't know what Peter learns by the end of it. Or even if he, even if he doesn't learn, even if he makes mistakes, nothing but mistakes in this film, I think that could be super interesting. I just don't know what it's all about. Yeah, I think in a way this movie, one of the more frustrating things about this movie is that it feels like a series of business decisions. It feels really cynical. It feels like they've, they've got a list of things they want to include in the movie. And you have to include these things and maybe we'll have this variation. Okay. This time when he's discovering his powers, we'll play Coldplay and he'll do kickflips because that's this version, but there's no actual, like it doesn't feel like a movie that has a creative purpose behind it. Even other than maybe as a vehicle for um, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone being a, uh, like an on-screen couple that works. And they would also work in real life for many years. Uh, and yeah. again, I think that's one of the highlights of the film. They're just, they're very good together when they're given just some of the worst romance dialogue ever. Like, like Uncle Ben at one point tells him like, oh, you got a picture of you on her computer. And then she's like, wowed by that. And yeah. it's just like, so degrading. <laughs> also, I don't know. Also, when, when he completely ruins her family dinner and then goes outside, says, reveals he's Spider-Man and immediately kisses her before she has time to react to it at all. But she loves it, apparently. Um, but again, it's like, you almost kind of want to let it go a little bit with their um, scenes together because they are so good. They have that chemistry. Oh God, they're so good. And I would pay to see, like, oh, well, I guess, I don't know. Maybe it'll be awkward if they work together now. Uh, I hope they have a good working <laughs> relationship because the, the, this, is, this is my pitch. I want to see, like, romantic comedy with them. 
if if they're cool with working together or whatever, you know. I I'm I don't know their 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 terms or whatever, but they're so good together, and yeah. they just got they got wasted on this this nonsense, this this frustrating. Yeah, I think. Thing. Uh, I also, as you like, you were saying about Captain Stacy. Even though Gwen's reactions to things are a little strange at times, every single scene she's in, I love her in it. So I do like her character a lot in this, and I like that she has agency uh, in the ending of the movie. There's a purpose to her being there, and she is, and it's not shoehorned in. Yeah, like it makes sense for like plot reasons, you know, like that. At the very least, there's like something connecting to all of that and in this movie that's like an oasis in the desert <laughs> um, of like good material I guess I mean, maybe good's a little too too nice I'll, I'll say it's like the bare minimum of this yeah uh, and what do you think about the James Horner score I, qu- I quite like the score on this one which is a shame when it's interrupted by the soundtrack which I think is really jarring most of the time <laughs> Uh, and detracts from it. The score, I, yeah, the score I'm a fan of. Okay. Though not, though, although not, I, I wouldn't say it's memorable, but it is, uh, it is something that worked enough for me. Yeah, I, I love James Horner, and I mean no disrespect uh, to the gone, but I'm not a fan of this. Even, even like opening weekend i remember getting dragged to this and my, uh, a friend of mine was like no i saw it it's good it's good and i was like okay and then i heard like the tribal drum beats and like the <laughs> the operatic like humming and i was like what is happening so I, i'm i'm sorry james horner i still love you you gave me the alien score which is untouchable yeah i, th- I think it's hard to for me to track that sometimes when um, there's a big build in the score towards a big moment, but I'm not connecting to the moment. And uh, so sometimes that that can f- I can find it hard to tell whether the score is falling flat or it's just the the actual material isn't matching up to it. I think that'll lead me to the last character I want to talk about really quick. Uh, we didn't talk about the villain, the lizard. Oh, uh, <laughs> big and falls flat. Uh, I I will say really quick, and then I'll, I'll toss it back to you. I'm not crazy about the design, but I think it almost gets there. I think what ruins it is the face. <laughs> the The face sucks. And apparently even Mark Webb was like saying how the, the motion capture on the face was like really challenging to, to deal with during the, the post-production process. And I believe him because I think it looks bad. The, the, the lizard itself is fine until the face, you know, like if you saw a silhouette of it from the back, you'd be like, Oh, the lizard looks awesome. And then you see the movie and you're like, oh shit, that's really bad. Uh, and I don't quite understand why they didn't just make him a lizard looking man instead of a, a man looking lizard. <laughs> he looks like um, one of the Goombas from the Super Mario Bros. movie, doesn't he? Oh shit, he does. <laughs> he's, he's got such a goofy face. I, You know, I, I really hated it when I first saw it. This time I liked it a bit more. But I think it definitely it completely falls apart as soon as he starts speaking. Uh, oh, when you see that man. face move and words come out of it, it is the the most strange thing. It's like watching a car crash in slow motion. <laughs> it's, it's awful. <laughs> it, it, it's the weirdest thing, and like uh, I really think they missed an opportunity. Like this would have just like fired off 
the neurons in the caveman part of my brain if they had him wear the lab suit, you know, like the lab coat while he's yeah. running around. Like it's how do you not do that with the lizard? Like that's just a cool image, you know. But there's I guess a, there's even a part where he's wearing a lab coat. And he kind of like look. He's wearing it for like half a second. He looks at it and then just pulls it off, as if like, here you go, <laughs> the lab coat's here, but we're skipping it. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I, I I hated that so much. And I guess the whole thing was that oh, they wanted to do the Batman Begins of the Spider-Man films, right? And you 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 heard that a lot in the late two thousands, early two thousand tens. We want to do Batman Begins so we can do the Dark Knight. The problem with that. <laughs> is that not everyone's Christopher Nolan and yeah. not every character needs to be Batman. <laughs> here's, a, here's, a, here's a crazy off-topic question, but it's just popped into my head. Is the Sonic movie trying to be the Batman Begins of the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise? <laughs> so they can do the Dark Knight of Sonic? Yeah, uh, which I guess is Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, no, obviously the Dark Knight of Sonic games is Sonic Adventure Battle 2. Attention all units. Suspect seen heading south. Block all major roads and capture yeah. the suspect. Uh, not, not much better implementation of the facial structure on Sonic than the lizard, honestly. Like, the lizard looks better overall, but the face... It's, it's the fucking face, man. It just it, it doesn't work. Well, I, I think I might be... I don't know if I'd be extra unfair to Lizard because when I was growing up reading uh, comics with Lizard in or watching the 90s Spider-Man cartoon with the Lizard in, I always liked him as a character and had ideas of how I wanted him to appear in... I remember I was convinced I really wanted him to be in Spider-Man 4 after they'd set him up uh, Kurt Connors up throughout all three of those movies, and um, I always thought he's he'd be um, a good implementation to have this character who Peter Parker is connected with, who he is forced to fight because even though he knows they're a good person, they've turned into this uncontrollable monster, and that's a really good dynamic, and I do think that making him making his uh his character effectively be and then he goes crazy and wants to turn everyone into a lizard uh does not work and skips over any potential like character drama that could have been between them yeah it's i mean by that point the film's like unsalvageable but that really pushes it over the edge where you're like what? Like, I mean, when when Peter's investigating, sorry, we're not really talking about the plot of this movie because, <laughs> like, we're, we're hopping around as much as the movie does here. Okay, so. Yeah. But uh, when Peter's investigating the, after the lizard attack and he falls him through the sewers, also, this was brought up to me recently uh, by a friend of the show, Jillian Miles, the lizard crawls out of a toilet? Like, plumbing doesn't work that way? Uh, but w- whatever. Um, uh, the lizard has, like, in his underground lab, in the sewers like a plan to uh, irradiate the city to turn everyone into lizard people but that is never established in like the mentality of the the villain and then you're right the the whole um, oh, well he's just crazy excuse like doesn't like where do people get this from <laughs> i don't i don't ever know of an instance where that like worked i've heard people say that about the joker like oh well the joker's 
cool because he's just crazy. And it's like, no, there's like a, a methodology to the writing of that character, at least. You can't just have them do things and use that as an excuse. Uh, and you know what really pisses me off about the third act, though? This is, this is like the least of the film's problems in hindsight, but this one really irks me. When the lizard does start spraying everyone with like the lizard smoke and like everyone's starting to turn into things and you see the SWAT team turn into like lizard people, I was like, okay, that's fucking cool. Spider-Man's going to have to fight his way through a bunch of mini lizards to go up against the big lizard. All right, here we go. <laughs> and they never come back to them. Yeah. Until they're losing the lizard thing when the, 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 the serum is shot through the sky and everyone turns back to normal. That pissed me off so much and it still irks me it's so strange because it was the scene where he transforms them could be lifted out and there's there's not really a point to it other than to potentially transform them which is not paid off at all it's, it's almost like they that's part of a draft where they there was going to be a fight and they chose not to film that part it's really strange it's yeah this whole movie works like that though in hindsight also like oh, there's this thing that might be an interesting idea and then it's never brought up again. It doesn't influence anything beyond like the moment that we just witnessed. Um, and I remember there was even like a Lego set that made the round. People were like, oh, there's going to be a bunch of lizards at some point in the movie. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. So when I saw that realized, I was like, yeah! And then just nothing. This, the, the visceral disappointment in my body, I'll never forget in the theater. I was like, I was ready to walk out and I know that's not even close to the biggest problem this movie has, but when you set up something that goofy and cool in a Spider-Man movie and you don't follow through, y- you don't get Spider-Man. Yeah, I, it's, uh... I think they, they're kind of caught in between like wanting to do some of this goofier stuff, like a villain who wants to turn everyone into lizard people, but then they also want to be kind of grounded in a bit darker and grittier. But there's not really they're not really committing to either side of that and it ends up falling in between. Yeah, and then now people don't even really remember these movies. I got one more to talk about later, so I don't even know why I'm like talking <laughs> about this like it's wrapping up. Because it really is. Like the movie made, I believe, seven hundred and fifty million dollars on like a two hundred, two hundred and thirty million dollar budget, which is very good. Um but it's not like, like after Spider-Man 3, that's not exactly what you, it, it's the least high grossing at the time of release. And that's not what you want for your universe kicker offer, I guess. Um, Especially when he's one of the most popular superheroes in the world. Yeah, I, I think this one really is what started the downhill like tenure of Spider-Man. Because not just from the movie, like Spider-Man's, Spider-Man's the Marvel superhero in a lot of ways, you know? Mm. And for a while, he's, he's not going to be because of the Marvel stuff and Iron Man and Captain America. People really like those because of the movies, you know? And uh, Matt and I talked about it before that, like, Spider-Man will last longer because he'll just outlast the MCU because there's no way the MCU is going to keep going, like, forever. At least not, like, in terms of quality, you know? Like, it's just impossible. That's nothing against that particular like, that's just not how production studios work. It's just, you, you can't win all the time, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but Spider-Man's just, like, a character that 
a lot of people have this, uh, this, this connection to because he's the most human in a lot of ways, like his struggles at least, his, his conflicts. Um, and this film, I think, misses all of that. I, I guess what, I, what I'm saying is that by the end of this movie, there, there's no real human element to these characters, the, the filmmaking. Uh, there, there might be human moments in the performances, and I think that's what I think we've also like come away with as positives. The, the acting is very good in this movie. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a moment I do really like uh, when Captain Stacy helps Peter Parker. Uh, th- it plays a little weird. Um, the soundtrack gets a little weird there for me. The score, I mean. The score gets a little weird where it's like kind of triumphant and the lizard stabs Captain Stacy and it's like, it's still going all triumphant and goofy and I'm like, oh, this is tonally just weird. <laughs> um, but then when... when uh, Kirk Connor saves him with his with his arm. I was like, "This is this is good." Okay, let's let's end this on a positive note. And then he goes over to check on Captain Stacy, and you know he says like, "Leave Gwen out of it." Like, promise me. He ha- he has to promise this dying man that he'll keep doing what he's doing, but he has to leave at the time the love of his life out of it. That's a really powerful moment, and all he can do is just scream. But there's that great image of him like surrounded by like the the falling like flakes, I guess of the cure or whatever. I don't know what it is, but it looks really cool. I like that image a lot. Yeah. And then they basically just do the same end as the first Spider-Man. I'm like, eh, okay, whatever this, it's fine. Th- that was good. And then the movie keeps going. And then Peter sits behind her in class. And then when he's breaking a promise to a dying man, don't make promises. You can't keep Mr. Parker. Okay, class, open your books. And the movie ends on a triumphant final swing. I think, yeah, the ending of this, I think there's a lot of, I think a lot of this movie ends up falling into this very forgettable territory, but then it just ends on that, which is the worst taste (laughs) to have in your mouth when you come away from a movie. Because they, again, like you said, they do practically the same ending as uh the first Raimi Spider-Man, right? And but well, I mean actually, you know what? I think it's kind of screwed from the start because because <laughs> um, <laughs> Captain Stacy tells him, right, uh to what was the exact phrase? He, he says um to leave her out of it. To leave Gwen out of it because you know people are going to be after him and it's a dangerous life. That kind of fits with with him after living a life where she didn't know whether he was going to come home or not every night. Um, Peter makes that promise, but he didn't say um, immediately stop speaking to my daughter when she's grieving. Don't turn up to my funeral, <laughs> like <laughs> refuse to support her emotionally in any way. Um, so he's just like the way he treats Gwen in that immediate aftermath is really awful, but he's just sat inside moping while she's suffering and then he just breaks the promise anyway. And like you said, that last moment is played up like this really kind of kooky, charming, like triumphant moment. And yet you're like, well, you just, you only made that. We That was like five minutes ago in, in movie time that you <laughs> made the promise to a dying man and now you're going back on it. And that's what we're left with, with you as a character. 
And it was something they had to like, um, I remember when I watched it as well and saying that to people and people, a lot of people I felt kept saying, don't worry, they'll, uh, he'll realize that's a bad idea in the next movie, <laughs> which just, you know, I don't think that's a, that's a valid way of excusing it. Yeah, no, I, I, people still say that about certain movies that I have feelings about. And I'm like, well, I, I don't care. Then. <laughs> like, like that's regardless of what movie genre, what, what film, what story, if, uh, I'm not opposed to cliffhangers. I want to make that clear too. I don't think you are either, right? Like we're we're pretty open to stuff like that. It's just yeah, like you you can't you can't end on on characters saying like these these flawed like thematic statements when the film doesn't support them in any way. Like I mean, I think the Raimi and his team on the first Spider Man. It, it I tried not to bring them up during this, but it's kind of hard not to because this film is so similar. I think they were smart enough to realize that like the end of the first Spider-Man when they were making it and when they followed it up is a flawed testament for a character like that. It, inherently so like it's it's wrong for him to shut people out. The Spider-Man 2 is all about him like kind of recuperating from that decision, you know, and like his life is worse for it. His life becomes better when he lets people in. Yeah. Uh, and the end of the first Spider-Man, it's it's that great final swing that's like that really is kind of iconic now. Um, but he's alone in that, you know, and the music is like swelling, but it's not like soaring, so to speak, you know, like he's, it's, it's a very melancholy ending. And here they're just like, no, it was awesome. See you next time. <laughs> it's like, what the, what? Uh, <laughs> there's also a mid credit scene where Connors oh, is, is in a that prison cell and a man comes out of the shadows to ask if Peter knows the truth about his parents. And then he tells him, leave Peter alone. And the man disappears. And to this day, none of us know what that was about. Yeah, so. the, that iconic <laughs> character. <laughs> uh, I think he might turn up in um, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, actually. But I don't oh, think he's right. I don't think he does. I think he's... I don't know. He turns up and he's just a guy called, I don't know. He's just some Oscorp guy, I guess. Um, again, it's, I, in, you can see how on paper they were, they wanted to at least, yeah, the MCU, they'll have this broad plan and they'll fill in the gaps later. Um, you know, they didn't have Nick Fury come in in shadow they didn't make up a new character to come in and say a vague statement about nothing and then disappear. That's not a tease. That's just confusing. <laughs> um, so I yeah. And I, I still, obviously the amazing Spider-Man two has its own problems with this world building stuff, but just seeing it here, the fact that I completely forgot about this post credit scene until I watched this again, I think is really telling. It's atrocious. Um, I'm not someone who's crazy about post-credit scenes anymore anyways. They've kind of worn out for me. And that's that's kind of on me. I, I'd argue that's kind of also on a lot of the people making them. Um, this one's like bottom five, though. This yeah. is like, it's just so bad. Um, and the actor who plays the mysterious man in Shadows is named Michael Maz, who is a, a really fun character actor. He was in The Crow. He was in a season oh. of 24. Uh, really talented guy also given nothing in this very par for the course um 
director Mark Webb said initially that he left it intentionally mysterious to invite speculation. It's like, no, you, you guys didn't know, and that's okay. You know, <laughs> just just don't lie to me. Um, eventually, the character was supposed to be uh, Mr. Fears, Gustav Fears, the gentleman. Wait, Mr. Fear? Did you say? Uh, not, not Mr. Fear, the gentleman. Oh, okay. Whose, whose real name is Mr. Fears, or Fires. I don't know how to pronounce it, but... Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Is that is that from is that from anything or is that his first appearance was in 1999 Spider-Man: The Gathering of the Sinister Six. So, <sighs> right. In case you were curious about where they intended to go down the line, well, uh, pulling from the best decade of comics, clearly. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no. The, I should probably say this for the Amazing Spider-Man Two, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> the original plan for Spider-Man 3 was apparently they wanted to do the Clone Saga. What, the Amazing Spider-Man 3 was going to do Clone Saga? Yep. I mean, that's that's kind of shocking, but also not shocking <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's part of the course for these. Oh, God. I mean, there's a lot of um, comic book fans out there who I think are satisfied by just seeing the things that they read on screen but even they wouldn't be satisfied by that because everyone hates the clone saga <laughs> people like ben riley a lot though i have nothing yeah. against him but like also i don't want to get to there yeah yeah it's not worth it <laughs> yeah like <laughs> that's a perfect way to do it yeah like oh this cool stuff could have happened but no it's it's not worth it oh my god that's the sound bite i'm gonna use for like all of this now <laughs> 38 of New York's finest versus one guy in a unitard. If you want the truth, Peter, come and get it. I am issuing an arrest warrant for the masked vigilante known as Spider-Man. I'm in trouble. The Amazing Spider-Man. Jack, do you have anything else you'd like to add about this film? Um, no, I've, I think uh, before I watched it, I, I struggled to remember it. And after watching it only a few days ago, I'm struggling to remember it again. Um, which I think is maybe one of the meanest things I can say about a movie. Um, there are a few, there are a few like glimmers of something good in there. Uh, but most of all, the actors deserved bad material to work with for sure. Yeah, um, I think it's one of the biggest missed opportunities in movies. Uh, if it had to exist, this is like the worst form of it, which is too bad. A lot of talent in front and behind the camera uh, never comes together for more than like a, a shining moment, I'll even say, because I do think there's some really fun stuff in it once in a while. Um, most of it is bad. Oh, we didn't, I, I didn't say anything about the suit. Uh, the suit sucks. There oh. you go. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I wish I had a more uh, complicated opinion on it, but no, it's, it just sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks like basketball leather thing. Yeah, um, I, I don't, I don't know how like he would have afforded that. Like the Raimi one, I, I kind of get more because it's like whimsical fantasy in New York. This one is like grounded and real, but also he's gonna make a his own Spider-Man suit with basketball material i don't know uh it's bad it's that's a bummer uh i like the next one though you'll hear me say some nice things about that suit 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, for that, sure. The next the next one is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it is amazing to Spider Man. Um yeah, this movie sucks. I'm sorry. I don't I hope I said some constructive things here. Uh I don't want to just be a nerd who like rants online. Um, but this this is a bad movie, and I'm still kind of flabbergasted that people tried to convince me it was good for a while. So yeah, haha, I won, you lost. Jack, thank you so much for joining me. If you don't have uh, anything else to say about this, uh, I can't imagine why anyone would. But uh, where can the people find you online? Uh, well, I'm uh, on Twitter. Uh, my username is jalexg underscore. You can find a bunch of my stuff on there. I, I write for a few places that you find on there. But also, in terms of Spider-Man stuff, um, I run a podcast called that 90s spider-man show where me and my friend henry we go through every episode of the 90s spider-man cartoon um as well as some extra uh side uh stuff and we go into some of the comic book origins and that kind of stuff as well if you want to see that kind of stuff in addition to that i also <laughs> run a, a twitter page which is a uh, is a uh, no context spider-man where i just get um really strange uh uh panels from uh classic spider-man comics that are really confusing um so if you want if you want to laugh at something for 10 minutes then head over to that as well uh links down to that below thank you so much jack for coming in and Thanks helping out me. with this episode uh god i'm so sorry <laughs> you had to say <laughs> you're forgiven <laughs> thank you uh so that, that's it for the amazing spider-man uh, next up the amazing spider-man 2 where I have something a little different in mind. It might work, it might not. It might be the biggest disaster this side of the actual film. Uh, but who knows? You'll have to come and check it out next time. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Like and subscribe. If you didn't like this episode, like and subscribe anyways, because you might find something you do like. Check us out on Patreon, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, Spotify. We have been professionally unprofessional. Unprofessional.